On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an alienated grandparent named Millie. It's a story of daughter-in-laws, intergenerational trauma, jealousy, isolation, and grief. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Millie. How are you? I'm fine, Brandon. Nervous? Well, everyone is nervous, and just thank you for being here. You're going to share your story today. It is a different story than we've ever had before because we've never had a grandparent on, and this is a you know a story of you know alienation of the grandparent and the parent and everything that you're dealing with. And now I'm going to get out of my way and your way. Millie, the floor is now yours. Thank you, Brandon. I, I really appreciate you listening to my story because it is different than what you've heard before. So I thought I'd start with a little bit about my background. I grew up in what I think was a a pretty normal family. And by normal, I don't mean without conflict. And I, I see that these type of manipulations are used by everybody at some point. And I saw them occur in my family. But when people did these kinds of things in my family, their actions were called out pretty quickly and behavior always changed. And this made me grow up by thinking, I think by always giving people the benefit of doubt and by thinking communication is the key to a good relationship. So I've been married for 42 years, and I can't think of one time that my husband and I didn't just talk over an issue and resolve it. This experience with my daughter-in-law has made me search my memory for how I was as a mother that might have left my son vulnerable to this type of personality. And I really don't know how to describe the kind of amnesia you get when you search and search your memory like this. It's like searching for a handful of needles in a haystack. I've been able to find those needles And those needles are all the times I hurt his feelings. And I hold on to those needles in my hand. And then I look around me, and the haystack is gone. And all is left is a jumble of loose hay. And that's how I feel my memories of his childhood now are. They're still there but they're not associated with any structure or they lose their their significance because I don't know anymore if I'm seeing things properly. And just to jump in here for a second, for people out there, I know you. You do. I've known you for a while, and I can say this with uh, full confidence. You are one of the nicest people I know, in the sense of you really are, when I think the purity of niceness, I th- your, your face pops up in my head. So I think that kind of gives you in my mind, the picture, and I think everyone who's come in contact with you that I know that has gone come in contact with you would say the same thing about you. And um, you're very reassuring 
and you always find that bright thing to say to people, if that makes sense. You know, you're, you're looking for that thing to be the lift me up for others. And I just wanted to say that right there. Well, thank you, Brandon. That that's very kind. And I do think I was a good mother. I mean, we did things together as a family and we supported, we have two boys. We supported our children's interests. Like my husband coached hockey and I was present at the school, like classroom helper occasionally. And so we were present in our kids' lives and we thought we gave them appropriate space. And our son had moved out of the house and was living in another city for over five years before he got married. When he left our home, in our opinion, we had raised a kind, sensitive, gentle, loyal man who wanted a career and who really wanted to find his person. We kept in touch with him weekly with by email or phone and we visited with him three or four times a year usually he came home when he was single and then we met the woman who was to become our daughter-in-law she came from a dysfunctional family and she had suffered childhood trauma and this only made us more welcoming so before they got married our son came to us with two red flags she said that he said that she had jealousy issues and he also told us that she was really weird around her family that she acted differently around her family and here's where our ignorance of narcissism came into play because we just encouraged him to support her. Even after he was married, he came to us a couple of times and started to tell us something. And then he would stop and he would say, well, you guys wouldn't understand. And I'm sorry to say that he probably was right. We wouldn't have understood at that time. He'd just start and then shake his head you know <laughs> so they got married and a couple of years later i'm going to use an alias here because i i just i have to give a name to my granddaughter Paige was born we had always encouraged our sons to follow their own paths so we had never thought about being being grandparents but when it happened we just embraced it when Paige was born, our daughter-in-law was still in school getting her PhD, and getting that degree was really important to her. So sometimes if they had a lot to do or something, we, we would visit for a little longer so we could babysit. And, but we still only visited three or four times a year. And we had once a week video chats with all of them. So we were present in their lives and Paige certainly knew us and loved us. Whenever we visited them, we just melded right into their routine. We didn't ask for, I should, I was going to say we didn't ask for anything, but I did ask my daughter-in-law one thing. I told her that if I was ever doing anything wrong, in her opinion, to let me know. Because when I was a young mother, things had changed between when I was a baby and when I had babies. And my parents took a little while to adapt to my style of parenting. So I wanted her to let her, I wanted to let her know that I wasn't that type of person, that I was willing to you know, go along with the way she parented. And I never offered any advice to her ever because 
she just sounded so authoritative of how she was going to parent. And she was always reading books on uh, parenting styles and stuff. But now I see that she took parenting theory and could twist it to suit herself. Like she told me that she would always give her children two choices because that would encourage independence while still keeping limits. And that sounded good. And it is good if you're choosing between this T-shirt and that T-shirt to wear. But she took it too far. She would ask Paige, who do you want to read this story, mom or dad? And if Paige chose the wrong person, and by the wrong person, I mean she didn't choose her, then the next time there wouldn't be a choice. That was, you, you don't get a choice in that anymore. So, but anyway, we, we just enjoyed spending time with them and Paige, and we had a lot of happy times. But then the pandemic happened, and they were already planning to move to our city. So now the PhD work was all online. So they decided, uh, we all decided they could move in with us until they found a house and that we would provide the childcare and, you know, be there for, you know, just babysit when they went to medical appointments because they were expecting their second child. So they moved in. And I'll tell you a little bit about what I consider the love bombing in this type of situation. They accepted all our kindnesses. My husband and I spent two weeks rearranging our house before we got there. They got here. We moved our whole life to the guest bedroom downstairs so that they would have room to move in properly. We moved to a hotel for two weeks so that they could quarantine in our house. And I told my daughter-in-law, change anything you want, move anything around you want. We want you to be comfortable. We want the house to be child safe. So for the following nine months, they ended up, instead of just buying a house, they had a house built. And it ended up that they lived with us for nine months. For those nine months, my husband and I did all the shopping, most of the housework. But we told them that we didn't want anything in return. But now I realize I was lying. Because I expected kindness in return. In the early days, she used to tell me she was learning so much from me and that she liked me because I didn't judge people. And her favorite line was, family is the most important thing. And at that time, she made us feel like family, like she included us in watching movies and uh, playing games as a as a family of at that time five and you know going for walks and so we really felt like part of the family as we always had up to that point and when they built their house only 10 minutes from our house we couldn't help but imagine this future where we got to be part of our grandchildren's lives. So eventually you move back to the house after the hotel stay and you and your husband took care of your granddaughter while your son and your daughter-in-law were working and uh, you grew very close with your granddaughter during this time. So what happens from here? 
one day, I in it, this was early in the pandemic, and we weren't supposed to associate with anybody that was in wasn't in your household. You remember those days. One day, I took Paige to a playground, and it was empty. And another child came, and I didn't leave right away. And Paige had a bit of interaction with this other child. As soon as I got home, I, I let my daughter-in-law and son know that this interaction happened between the two kids. And I could tell every adult, including my husband, was a little upset with me that this had occurred. And I was upset with myself. I just felt so bad. And later that day, my daughter-in-law came up to me and she said that she forgave me. And I was just so grateful to her. Like, I felt indebted to her forever now. The devaluing began quite soon after we started with the child care, which was day one. As far as the child care want, went, she made me feel like an employee and not a very good employee. She kept moving the goalposts. First, she wanted messy clay. I did messy clay. Then she wanted structured clay. I did structured clay. Then she provided me with a stack of pages of suggested activities and she bought a few of the supplies for these activities too. And as soon as she saw that Paige and I enjoyed like a certain toy or activity, well, it wouldn't be long before she had stored that away so it was no longer accessible to us. Like she didn't she didn't want me to have fun with Paige. And that was because Paige was already showing an obvious preference for me. So, so, you know, earlier you stated, like, who do you want to read you this book, mommy or daddy? And when she wasn't chosen, you know, that was a problem. So now she's living in your home and she had no real problem with you before. Right. But now you're in the home and because you're taking a bulk of the duties when it comes to childcare, learning, early childhood education, you get more of an opportunity to bond and that bond is so important to her in the sense of this child's only going to bond with me over anybody that you become public enemy number one in the sense of, you know, whatever could have gone on in her life, you know, she maybe, you know, trauma, not bonding with her parents. You're now getting someone who's so, wants to bond with the child and doesn't really want that child to have anyone but her having you around is a threat it to 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 it's a threat to um her belief of what her relationship should be with their child and what she wants and what she didn't have before I think you've hit it bang on. So my daughter-in-law finished her PhD requirements online. And that night after she had finished her work, she told me that she didn't want me coming up. She wanted me to stay in my room for the work day. And this was because she claimed I was too much of a distraction for Paige. So, I mean, it wasn't total isolation. I got to come upstairs about an hour before supper and Paige and I got to play. 
and you know we'd have supper and then they would get her ready for bed and all all that but i felt like i'd been fired and overnight i went from being a family member to an annoying relative since it was the pandemic i i, I couldn't go to the mall for half a day or visit friends so i sat downstairs in my room by myself and just listened to everybody else doing things out in the house my son was working he was still working all the time in the room next door to me and i know my daughter-in-law didn't really want my husband around either but he didn't he just didn't get it like <laughs> so he went about his day but he wasn't really bothering them and Paige didn't Paige loves her grandpa but she didn't have the same attachment to him so she our daughter-in-law just let him be up there like so it was really really bleak being alone in that room did you discuss this with your husband at the time well he had been there when she asked that i stay in the room and so when when i agreed i think he thought i was fine with it and he wasn't there to see how terrible i felt down there and I wasn't open. I mean, I was just trying to make her happy. And whenever they had a medical appointment or anything, like, I, I was allowed back up. I was welcomed back in. And the, the next granddaughter was born about a month after this imposed isolation. And, you know, it still felt, I mean, I, I just didn't open up to my husband. I think he could sense it because he started making sure when I was upstairs that he was with me, but he didn't really know what was going on with me, I don't think. Anyway, I would come upstairs occasionally to, you know, fill my water bottle or get a snack. And when I came upstairs, it was total silent treatment so one day i came up to fill my water bottle and i said i said hello to her and Paige, and they ignored me and then when i passed by them again on my way back downstairs both my husband and my son were talking to my daughter-in-law and i just burst out crying and went back downstairs and then later in the afternoon, my son and, and daughter, my daughter-in-law was hiding around the corner. Anyway, my son came to me and said, you know, what's the problem? And I told him that I wanted to come upstairs more. And my daughter-in-law then came around the corner and said, I'm sorry you don't feel welcome in your own home, but I don't want you coming upstairs. So I said, well, at the very least, for the few moments I am upstairs, I would like to be treated like a person. I would like to be acknowledged when I come into the room if I say hello. And so she did acquiesce to that for like, Two days, she said hello to me when I came upstairs. And then it was back to total silent treatment from her. So on Christmas Eve, I'm cleaning up the kitchen after supper. It's just me in the kitchen and my daughter-in-law comes to me and she said um, that I was welcome to come upstairs for Christmas morning. And... She acted like she was doing me a favor 
And all this time, I never thought that I wouldn't be welcome with my family on Christmas morning. Like in your own <laughs> home, in my own home <laughs> with my Christmas tree. And you know, <laughs> so that kind of ruined Christmas for me before it even started, you know. But, but I, I did the best I could getting through Christmas. It was just getting through Christmas at that point. And my son, of course, aligned with his wife because, and I must say, I don't blame him for aligning with her because I now know what it's like to be on her bad side and you don't, you don't want to be there. So he had, he openly told me that, that I was the problem and I just agreed with him. The true problem was my daughter-in-law's inability to create a healthy bond with Paige. And this is this is a little bit out of sequence, but when the, after they had moved out and we were visiting them in their home, my daughter-in-law was holding the baby. And I was standing in front of her because she was playing. The baby was playing with my earrings. And she was, everybody else had left the room. And I, I, by this time, I was always trying not to be alone with her in the room. But the baby was playing with my earring and I barely ever got to see the baby. So anyway, the back of the earring popped off and the earring went in the carpet. I got down on the floor to find the earring. And while I was looking for the earring, my daughter-in-law was saying to the baby, good grandmas don't wear earrings when they visit their grandchildren. Good grandmas know that babies can choke on earrings. And I just felt so low I mean I was already on the floor (laughs) and so bad (laughs) so but speaking of the baby from the day the baby was born I was not allowed to hold her very often or for very long it was only like two or three times a week and only for about five minutes at a time And she supervised me the whole time. Like I couldn't be trusted to hold the baby. My son saw my pain about not being able to hold the baby. So he must have negotiated some sort of deal with my daughter-in-law because he came to us and said, we were going to get grandparenting time with the baby every day. While he was getting Paige ready for bed. So then my daughter-in-law started putting the baby to bed before they started getting Paige ready for bed. So we never got this grandparenting time. Nothing really changed. So at this point, she also tried to make me, she tried to use my age against me. Like it, Paige and I were playing like a physical game, like Simon Says or something like that. She would say, Grandma's too old to do that. Or uh, she would talk really softly. And I think she wanted me to think I was losing my hearing. But uh, I wasn't falling for that because I could hear perfectly fine. (laughs) So then she just stopped doing that. Anyway, uh, right about now, I was just holding on to the hope that this was all caused by just hormones and stress. And that once they got into their own home, that things would improve. I was sure things would improve, but, you know, of course it didn't. Once they moved to their own home, she played this game of keep away. They minimized 
our importance in our in their lives and especially in the grandchildren's lives they didn't want to share meals they made us feel unwelcome in their home we were never left unsupervised with the girls when i asked about babysitting she said that my services were no longer required we always had to make the request to get together and we would only request it one or two times a month because we knew we weren't wanted. But after I made the request, we were often ignored, you know, or she'd stonewall to answer the request. Or sometimes they'd just say no with a lame excuse. I was so worried that Paige would think that I didn't love her anymore. So I started sending emails to my daughter-in-law that were, the subject was four page, love grandma and grandpa. And they were just photos. Like my husband and I go for walks every day. And if we saw a duck or some geese, you know, we just take a look. They weren't very often pictures of us. They were usually pictures of nature, which I thought, who could be offended by that? And um, we would only send them once or twice a week. Just, just a little reminder to Paige that we still loved her. And we thought that if my daughter-in-law didn't like it, I mean, they went to her emails. So if she didn't like it, she could just delete them. She didn't have to show Paige. They were, she was, had total control of the whole situation. So we did have visits, but when they came to our house, the children were often scared of us when they came in. But I just tried as much as I could to act like my old self. And I always had lots of activities for them to do. And they warmed up pretty quickly. The kids did. And... By the time it was time to leave, they'd be procrastinating, which I'm sure wasn't going over well <laughs> with their mother. Then my daughter-in-law started excluding our son from most of the visits. And the only time we saw our son would be here and there, and she was always right beside him. The only times we saw our son alone was when he he was delivering a message. Like, say we visited there. He would walk us out to the car and say things that we knew were really from her. Like, he would say, don't bother us anymore on weekends. Or, uh, there's never going to be any babysitting. And they no longer answered any of our phone calls. So email was the only avenue we really had to communicate with them. And I'm pretty sure they each have access to each other's phones. So when I, we did see her, I, I would try to apologize to her. I'd say, you know, I, I'm just so sorry for whatever I did to cause all this. And she seemed to enjoy these apologies. Then came two days that changed everything for us. All these visits had been on eggshells, but at least we got to see the girls. Then we were invited for Paige's half birthday. And when Paige was opening her gifts, my daughter-in-law put the baby down and she was she could walk by this time she was just over a year old and the baby walked over to me climbed on my lap and she just sat there she just sat there smiling looking so proud and but i knew this was not a good thing cuz i looked over at my daughter-in-law and I saw her face change. 
I could see her anger. I could see her fear. So after that, she didn't let us see them. But it was going to be, but then it was my husband's birthday. And they said they'd come for his birthday. And we hadn't seen him for a month. For nearly every other visit, I always wondered if this would be the last time we ever saw them. But on this day, I wasn't worried about that. I was uh, getting crafts ready for the kids, for all of us to do during the party and getting games ready. And so the day arrives. And my husband goes out to greet them at the car. And Paige runs over to him and gives him a hug. And my daughter-in-law says to Paige, remember what we talked about. The rule is no hugging today. And when I heard about this later, I just thought that was so wrong to put, to let the children know about a rule like that, but not to inform us, the adults, ahead of time. It seemed to put an awful lot of stress for children to have to enforce the rule. So my husband came inside very quickly so he could give me a heads up about this rule. And I went into another room and took a couple of deep breaths. And then I came out to greet them. And she was ready to fight. Right away, she said, do you have a problem with the no-hugging rule? And I heard my son say to her, please, I don't want to lose this. But she ignored him. And she started in on me. And I said, stop. We're not having this discussion in front of the children. And she said, why not? They're old enough to hear that, this. And I said, no, they're not. They were four and one. So she conceded and she said, okay, one of us will take the girls downstairs to play and one of us will talk to you. She, then she said, who do you choose? Me or my son to talk to me? And without hesitation, I said, my son, which was not the choice she wanted me to make. And that was written all over her face. So our son came with us to the kitchen while she took the girls downstairs. And he told me that I wasn't safe that I don't like the baby, that I sequester Paige, and that I tell Paige secrets. I just felt defeated. I tried to defend myself a little bit. I said, I've never been given a chance with the baby. And I saw the look on his face. He, he had no conviction in the words he was saying, but he knew he had to say them. So then I said, could I just go downstairs and play with the girls for a few minutes? And he said, yes, but this was my big mistake. I thought my daughter-in-law would respect the boundary of not fighting in front of the children. But when I tried to play with them, she started berating me about these nature emails I had been sending Paige. She said that she never got any emails from me. She said, I must love Paige more than I love her. And I just, this was too much for me. I I think I froze. All I could think of was, this is beyond my pay grade. I, I just cannot deal with a person 
who's competing for love with her daughter, with her four-year-old daughter. Like, so I just tried to ignore her and continue playing with the children. And of course that, that didn't, that didn't go. She took the children upstairs to get ready to go. And I followed them up. And when we got to the top of the stairs, she turned to me and she said, you know, we moved here so you could have a good relationship with the children. And I looked at her and I told her that her words didn't match her actions. And then she started yelling that she loved me. And I didn't feel very loved in that moment. And I, and I made the huge mistake of saying, prove it. She just kept going on in this shrill voice. So I ran to the other room and I packed up the crafts that I had made, that I got ready for the children to do. And then they left with my son trailing behind, trying to keep up. After they left, I fell to the floor. I couldn't stop shaking. I couldn't stop crying. My husband and I discussed it and we said, well, just let's just not bother them. We won't contact them. And I started to feel a little better. So psychologically here, and I am no psychological expert in any sort of way, but you're not just, com- you know, you're not just dealing with the idea that your daughter-in-law could be jealous of your relationship or really wants to have a specific relationship with her own child. You're also dealing with something that throws a big wrench into things, which is you're dealing with someone here that is viewing you like you are supposed to treat them like they're a 10-year-old child as far as the love you're showing to this kid should also be the love she's receiving And that is an odd thing to put into the place of a mother-in-law, a father-in-law, because you assume at this age that there will be a lot of maybe therapy that could have happened to deal with a lot of these issues. But it seems like these issues that she has from trauma abandonment, uh, self-esteem are being put on you and it's not being communicated. That's what she's doing. She's not explaining herself at all. And it's like she's taking her anger out on maybe her own parents on you because you're not acting in the way that she wants you to. But at the same time, there's real no clear explanation of these expectations, you know, and you're a grandparent and, you know, you want to see your son, you want to be there for him and her, And you want to have a relationship with your grandkids and be respectful. And the, it's not like you're like, cause your job as a mom is done, you know, but she wants you to be a mom. It sounds like again, in a way that you were done with that, you know, when you're, children hit they were out of the house at 18 yeah well 22 22 
but that's exactly what I what I was thinking. I was thinking she's projecting all the anger she has at her own mother onto me. And I don't know enough about what happened with her mother or her life, really, to handle this. And she's not going to open up to me. And it's obvious that she has had therapy that hasn't worked because as soon as uh, this happened, she told me that I needed to concentrate on self-care, like all this therapy stuff. She seemed to know, but she didn't internalize. It was it was just another weapon, really. Like she knows about therapy, and she's the expert on therapy. And so, after a period where there's just this big silent period between both parties here, you then get this email from your daughter in law that she wants to meet with you and your husband alone, not with your son present at all. And you and your husband then craft an email back stating that you would like, you know, your son to be present for these conversations. So, what happens from here? So after we sent that email, there was pretty much no contact for six months. And then about after about six months, and I was feeling much better after this six months. This is when I had contacted you initially, Brandon, when I thought they would never come back into our lives. I was feeling better. I had gone stand-up paddleboarding, which I'd never done before. And I, I was I was feeling better. But then we got a sincere, what sounded like a sincere email saying that if the adults could repair the relationship, then we could see the kids. And we fell for that. But really it was a game of carrot on a stick. We tried to discuss things with them. First time in a video chat. And my husband and my son were both present because I was not going to give up any boundary I had already set. So this video chat did not go well. It was just all, I was just offered up as a sacrificial lamb for her to berate and no one could interrupt her. If I gave an answer to a question, she just moved on to another subject. And so in the end, that didn't work. We had one video chat, and that was that. But we decided to continue the discussions through email. But it wasn't long before it was apparent to me that these discussions were just another opportunity for her to rage at me and that she wanted to engage for as long as she could, but she really never had an honest intention of letting us see the children. So after a couple of these emails, we just sent them a message that we've always tried to be respectful of their privacy and their boundaries. But what they thought about us was their opinion and that if they ever wanted to see us, they could let us know. And that kind of worked, actually. After we sent that email, our son managed to set up a few visits for us. They were, you know, they weren't close together. They were months apart. Well, a couple of months apart. But her manipulative behavior was out in full force, even at these visits when we hadn't seen them for so long. Like we'd go to a restaurant. Well, one visit was at a restaurant and they had the kids seated so that they were trapped. And the kids couldn't touch us because of where they were sitting. And we couldn't touch them. And then she would control the conversation as well, direct their answers, direct my questions. Like, um, 
I was trying to find out a little bit about what the girls liked now. And I asked Paige what her favorite color was now. And my daughter-in-law said, oh, that's not the way you ask. What you ask is, what do you like better, blue or green? So <laughs> Paige didn't even have the freedom to say to me what her favorite color was. And I didn't really have the freedom to ask her other than this choice mechanism. Then on the last visit we had, instead of using these manipulations, our daughter-in-law just sort of sat back and observed the whole visit. And it was uh, outdoor playtime. It was just a few months ago, a couple, it was in August. And the girls and me and my husband, we had so much fun. We just, we played water balloons and we painted. We ate ice cream. And then about a week after this fun visit, which we thought had gone very well, we got, my husband got an email. I thought it was going to be a thank you. <laughs> I don't know where I got this idea that she was going to say, Oh, the girls had so much fun. Thanks so much. But no, no, it was it was a letter accusing me of not making eye, eye contact with her, of whispering in the girls' ears, and all the regular accusations she always made. So we didn't contact them because we didn't think this was worth responding to. We did respond with a, you know, we understand it. Or we said message received, and that was it. And then, but when it came time for another birthday, we did reach out to them, just asking if we could give gifts. Our daughter-in-law wrote back saying, no gifts until the relationship was repaired between the adults. And we'd already played that game. <laughs> we decided, as heartbreaking as it is, that there will be no gifts for our granddaughter for her third birthday. And that's where we sit right now. But I'm going to go back and talk a little bit about shame, if that's okay. Yep. The shame of not being able to see our grandchildren has been overwhelming. I became a whole different personality. I was meek and quiet, a shell. If I wasn't worthy of being in my granddaughter's lives, what was I worthy of? I was afraid if I told people that they wouldn't believe me, that they would think I had done something horrible. It was six months after they had moved out of the house before I even started opening up to my husband about some of the things my daughter-in-law had said to gaslight me. And he felt so bad because he hadn't seen it. And I told him that's because she didn't let you see it. A couple months after I opened up to my husband, I opened up to my sisters. And they have just been so supportive and understanding. And I just feel so bad that my sisters and their families and my father, their great-grandpa, hasn't had a chance to know these beautiful little girls. So my husband and I tried therapy. It was right after the pandemic, and there was a waiting list at our local clinic. So it was a couple months before we got in. The first session, I was telling the therapist about all these problems with my daughter-in-law. She thought this would all be solved when my daughter-in-law went back to work and that I needed to take the high road 
because most of what I was saying, she said I was exaggerating. But I did bring in a couple of the emails my daughter-in-law had written. And I gave them to her to read to help me maybe communicate with her. And she read them and she said, I don't think I can help you communicate with a person like this. So most of my therapy and healing has been through self-education. I've read a lot of books about narcissism. And there's also a whole library of books out there, if there are any grandparents listening, about grandparent alienation. And these usually do have at least one chapter on narcissism as well. We've taken, my husband and I have taken webinars from high-conflict therapists, from a parent estrangement therapist. We've taken healing webinars. Like, we've gone back to school. But by far, the best therapy and the best support I've found was your podcast and the support group. The support group, which I was afraid to join because of my age. I thought they would think I was the mother, you know, the mother-in-law. But they have been so welcoming and understanding and kind. We also found an organization called Alienated Grandparents Anonymous, AGA. It's a global organization, and sadly, it's growing fast. And it is a helpful resource for any grandparents out there who are going through this. And they also have Zoom support meetings as well, you know, for one, for support. The hardest part for me has been the overwhelming grief. I've cried at home. I've cried during walks. I've cried shopping. There is nowhere I can go that a trigger doesn't exist. But they say that the best path to healing is through the pain. So I let myself cry wherever I am. Not out and out sobbing. Or just letting the tears roll dramatically. <laughs> I still have periods of shaking almost daily. But I think these are, are just fear. Just fear of the unknown. I worry that the girls are being poisoned against me. But more, more than that, I worry about those girls' future. Having a mother that has no empathy. My focus now is learning as much as I can so that I can understand how best to help my son and granddaughters if they ever reach out to us. And if our daughter-in-law was ever willing to move forward in a healthy way, we would be so supportive. I've had to accept the loss of my dreams of playing with my granddaughters. There will be no board games or tea parties, snow angels, singing happy birthday, watching movies and soccer games, school plays. I've had to accept that I can't rescue those girls. And I can't save my son. And radical acceptance is hard work. We have hoped someday that they might reach out to us, the granddaughters. So we keep a memory box for each of them that I fill with photos and notes. The notes focus on the memories we have of them and how, how we wish we could know them and build new memories with them. I really hope they get to look through these boxes someday. 
if my son is out there listening, I would like to say a few words to him. We love you. We will always be here for you. You are always welcome to come talk to us, and we will just listen. No expectations. That's the end, Brendan. <laughs> Unless you have words of wisdom. Now you have words of wisdom. Okay. I have tears in my eyes. You have words oh, of wisdom. Okay. My words of wisdom would be know these red flags and teach them to your dating age children. It's not that you can change your child's mind if if they if if you know that they're getting into something not good. But our son had come to us and we might have not changed his mind, but at least alerted him to the possibility that this might not be a happy future. I would also say be kind to people because you don't know what someone is going through. And the last thing I would say is find support. If you can, tell your story because this type of personality thrives in secrecy. The more awareness that is raised, the better. Well, well, I was about to say your real name. Millie? <laughs> <laughs> well, Millie, I first want to thank you and say, you know, from everyone in Thursday afternoon group, <laughs> you know, we're all giving you a big hug. And... Thank you for always going first. (laughs) (laughs) When you're old, you got to move with it. (laughs) And, you know, today I didn't, you know, when was the first time we spoke? A long time ago. It was in October. Of last year. Yes. Where we had our our first initial kind of pre-call. And then... You eventually joined the group, and then eventually one day you said, hey, I, I think I can do this. Let's do this. And, and Brandon, I'm so glad that I've had this extra year, because where I was when I first contacted you is so different than where I am now. Like, I've learned so much more. Oh, yeah, much different. it's much different you know it's not that you are you've accepted you know this is what's happening and you're prepared for when people do come to you and you know fighting against what's happening wasn't going to get you anywhere and to be ready for when someone does reach out to you because you don't want to push them away in this time because you never know what's happening and your reaction might reinforce to what that person is telling them. And now you're kind of in this spot where you've accepted it. It's very difficult and you want to cry every day. I do cry every day. I shouldn't say that, Brandon. Knowing, I was nervous coming here today, but it wasn't the same kind of nervous that I would feel knowing that I was going to see my daughter-in-law. The nervousness I felt bordered on excitement because I think it's part of the act of healing to share your story. And my gut felt right 
it didn't feel bad knowing I was going to do this, even though I was nervous. Well, I'm happy you were here. I'm happy you were part of our group and being our number one um, helper <laughs> on, on there. You get you validate. You know, I'm going to swear. Uh, well, I'm not going to use a swear word, but you validate the crap out of everyone uh, on, on there. And you're just, you're great at listening and understanding, and you have empathy. You know for miles. So you know, just a big thank you for being here and sharing with everyone. A lot of people out there might be going through the same thing as you. And this is the first time we've done a story like this about a daughter-in-law. So just a big thank you, you know, a trailblazer today as well. So uh, just a big thank you for being here and we're all giving you a big hug. Thank you. It, it was, I'm so grateful to you for having me. Well, Millie, thank you once again for being our guest. And if you want to be a guest like Millie was today, please go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. And there you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And we have a support group at our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. So if you need support, go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a support group button. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network where you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. You can make friends on there as well. So if you need support, join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. At DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you're dealing with. They have every phone number, email address, and web address for shelters and agencies, no matter how big or small the town you're in. DomesticShelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource. So if you need extra support, go to DomesticShelters.org today. And we have another friend of the show called Shelter Movers. And Shelter Movers can be found at sheltermovers.com. And what they do is they help survivors of domestic violence transition to a better and safer life. It is a volunteer organization, a donor-supported organization, charitable organization as well. It is currently only in Canada, but they are looking to expand to the United States. And what they do is they help coordinate moves for people who are getting out of domestic violence and course of control. They get all of your things out of your home into storage, all of your belongings into storage, and they can do this for for your pets and livestock too. It is a wonderful organization. So if you need help from them or you just want to donate to them, please go to sheltermovers.com. And that is it for today's survivor story, today's episode. So for myself and Millie, we hope you have a good night.